Welcome to episode seven of the Business and Chill podcast. This week, we sit down and chat to uh, Mike Stewart of the Inverurie Whiskey Shop. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike. Mike, thanks very much for giving up part of your Sunday afternoon to come on and speak to me. No problem at all. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, First question, as usual, is uh, drink-related. So I already know that you've got a drink. In fact, I saw a a cocktail shaker in the the work. So maybe you could let me know what it is you've, you've got. Yeah. So this is uh, one of my own creations. I'm calling it a little ginger dog, um, and it's a variation of a martini. So it's martini, um, little brown dog gin, chilled and shaken, um, and then topped up with Disley Cross ginger cider. That's 10, 10 out of 10 for effort, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, co- cocktails in general, is that something you're quite into in terms of coming up with new ones and that sort of thing? Um, not to what I would call a mixologist degree. Um, I, I know what I like and taste. I, I, you know, I like the classic old fashions and whiskey sours, uh, things like that. Uh, I love a martini, just straight gin with uh, the vermouth. But, uh, but yeah, I like to, to play a little bit. We did a cocktail class at the shop on Christmas where we had some Christmas themed ones, which went down really well. So there's certainly something there. Let's say it's not something I practice often, mm-hmm. uh, just what I like to do. Good stuff. Well, I've uh, I've kept it fairly simple. I've just got a, a beer, but uh, Hazy Jane by Brewdog, one of my favourites. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Perfect for a sunny afternoon. Although um, you, you're, yeah, you're you're sitting outside. You said I'm I'm still inside, but right. Okay, well that's the drinks covered. So um, we'll maybe fire into the business the business stuff. Um, if you can maybe just just give a quick sort of overview of kind of your history and how you've got to the sort of point you are with the whiskey shop? Um, well, I've always, ever since I started working, I've uh, worked in hospitality. My first job was as a waiter at Inverurie Golf Club. Uh, I moved behind the bar there and then did a couple of years there and then moved to the Contour Arms Hotel. Uh, started off as a waiter and moved up into food and beverage and became food and beverage manager there. Uh, then the family bought the Black Bull Inn. Uh, coming up for 13 years ago now, so I ran the bar for for the family there, and upstairs was a bed and breakfast which my mum ran. So that's kind of really what, what piqued my interest in whiskey, and uh, the diff- all the different kind of styles and flavors and people asking for new whiskies. So we went to source them and built up quite a collection, and kind of there was a wee turn in in trade we noticed about maybe five years ago, six years ago, where it kind of coincided with the, the boom of gin uh, and craft beer. Uh, people became really interested in all things craft, the provenance, how it was made, premium spirits. And what we found was that a lot of the new generation of drinkers were drinking at home, um, coming out to the pub less, and um, kind of drinking higher quality, maybe drinking less, but spending a little bit extra on a better quality drink. So we looked at um, if it was feasible to have a shop that could cater for that market. Um, primarily whiskey, because that was kind of a passion I developed, but we soon realized that you know, gin was, well, it wasn't until after we opened that we realized that gin was as big as it was. Uh, we only had six gins when we opened, and that certainly um, escalated now, we've got over a hundred. Uh, so, so we opened the shop in 2015, and um, have, have kind of grown from just being a shop that sells whiskey to offering tastings and tours 
and and more latterly um, education. So we, we teach courses on or a course on on whiskey now as well. Um, so that that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And in the future, you know, we've got plans moving forward to expand the, the business as well. So as, as you say, your your whole kind of working career has been kind of hospitality based. Is that something you'd always uh, sort of thought you would, you would like to go into? Or was it just sort of once you started working in that you realised you had a sort of passion for it? Yeah, um, it wasn't deliberate, no. Um, my, my first course uh, of what I wanted to get into was media, um, video editing, filming, things like that. Uh, I actually started up a business uh, fresh out of college uh, called Doorway Films, which was what I wanted to be primarily a, a, a movie making or short filmmaking uh, business. And we started to get funded. We started doing wedding videos. So I did that for about two years. Um, I quickly stagnated with it, you know, filming the same speeches um, all the time. But my business partner, uh, he really thrives in it. He's still doing it today, um, doing really well. So that was kind of my first business venture and what I wanted to do originally. Um, and, but while I was doing that, I needed a full-time job on the side. And that was when I, I started working at the hotel. And yeah, quickly just developed a, a passion for, for giving people good quality drinks and and um, backing up my knowledge and learning about it so I, I could talk about anything quite comfortably and confidently on. And so yeah, it kind of accidentally thrived in it, I would say. You've all probably presumably always had a kind of a passion for maybe like whiskies and, and, and drinks in general, would that be fair to say that? So you kind of made, made, a, made a business out of something that you were already kind of interested in. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly in terms of the, the shop, um, I developed an interest in whiskey. Maybe first, when I was going out drinking um, socially, uh, the only whiskey I really drank was Jameson's uh, with a load of ice in it. Uh, it wasn't until I started kind of practicing the, the serving side of it, the, the, the uh, professional side of it, that I realized just what was out there. Um, and that quickly grew into, yeah, it kind of, I got a job that taught me how to love a passion and then I, I flipped that back on its head and turned into business. That's kind of come full circle then in, term, in, that, in terms of that. Um, yeah, you know, pretty much. <laughs> it's great to be able to make a business out of something you've developed a passion for. I think that's um, something I think everybody would like to do. Um, not many people probably get to do it though. I think, yeah, um, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so uh, if you go back to sort of um, sort of the opening of the shop, as you said, you started out primarily focused on on the whiskey market, but then kind of realizing that that gin gin was probably as as big, if not bigger, a seller in terms of the, sort of throughout the the boom in gin that we've kind of had in recent years. How I mean, it's maybe a bit of a stupid question, but how how difficult is it to sort of keep up with you know all the new gins that are coming out and all the new craft drinks and beers and stuff? How how do you go about doing that? Um, it's, we're quite lucky in a sense that they come to us a lot of the time. Um, so for especially local, um, gins, they, they kind of come to us and say, look, this is what's coming up. This is what we've got. Would you be interested in selling it? Can we send you samples? Things like that. So, so in that regards, it's very easy. Try to keep in touch with everything else that's going on. The, um, nationwide 
um, you know, ten out of ten for the guys who manage to do that. Um, it's it's a very very tough job. You know, we when we first opened from the first uh, gin company, which is Porter's, who approached us um, the beginning of December two thousand fifteen, just a couple of weeks after we opened. Um, I think we've probably had a new gin every week, if not every other week, coming to us and saying, "Can you stock us?" Or uh, we're, we're launching soon. Um, so, you know, one, try to stock it. Does it have a place on the shelf? Um, and two, just try to deal with all the emails and things that are coming through asking for it. Um, yeah, it's a tough, it could almost be a full-time job in itself. Yeah. Um, just going out and sourcing gin. Do, do you kind of tr try and predominantly focus on sort of local stuff first? Is that, or? Yeah. 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 Um, local and Scottish makes up about 90% of our gins. Um, anything out with... We, we take in, if we think it's got an interest, um, we'll take in kind of trial. And if it sells, we'll keep it. Um, and if it, if it sits in the shelf, it's not something we bring back in. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So obviously, you've obviously got only a certain amount of shelf space in the shop. So you probably have to be quite selective about what you are putting putting out there. There's no point in putting out, putting out something that doesn't really sell that well, I suppose. Um, but I take yeah. it you probably monitor that as you go along. Yeah, um, what we try to do is also rotate as much as we can. Um, you know, we, we, we see that certain types of gin have seasonal kind of demand. So, you know, at the moment we're, we're getting into this hot weather. So we're looking at gins that go into kind of long cocktails, um, kind of nice refreshing gin and tonic style drinks served chilled um, and quite quite quaffable thirst quenching. Coming up to things like Christmas, we're looking at more spiced gin, kind of heavier yeah, body, almost sipping neat gins. So so we kind of focus on that um, as as well as new releases. So anything new kind of gets a, a, a good place on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And uh, we try and rotate. Uh, and as I said, you know, for example, Shetland Reel, uh, we, we stopped selling that about two years ago because it, they, they went into some supermarkets and we couldn't compete in price. Um, but you know, just recently we've had so many people asking for it that we've taken it back in and it's flying again. So, you know, some some brands, as with everything, come in and out of fashion, I suppose. So, mm -hmm. so try to yeah. keep on top of that as well. Absolutely. So, would you say that gin probably would gin outsell whiskey in the shop at the moment, or is it, is it still probably sell more whiskey? Um, there was a couple of years when it did. Um, certainly. I, I, for walk-ins, I think whiskey's always had the online presence um, for us. Uh, probably 2017-18, I would say we sold more bottles of gin. Last year was more, what we lost in gin sales actually, we, we kind of dipped a wee bit, about 12% in gin sales, but we picked up rum sales of about the same margin. Whiskey stayed pretty constant. So I, I get you. Know, it's it's trends. Rum's becoming really popular, um, and maybe I, I wouldn't say gin has peaked. I don't think it's. I think there's still a long way to go with it. But I think there's so many places serving gin now that places like ourselves we're not quite as bespoke or unique as we were during the height of the boom. You know, we've got supermarkets doing gin festival months and things like that. So it's easier to get a hold of the gins now. Mm -hmm. which is obviously impacting on us, but we, we move on and uh, we do something else. We try and adapt. Yeah, so how do you, how do you adapt? And if you say if, you know, gin's becoming a lot more mainstream, as you say, you probably can 
pop down to Tesco or Morrison's or Asda or whatever and, and get a, can, the same bottle for probably a bit cheaper because obviously, you know, um, then you'd be able to compete with. So is it a case of do you try and make sure you've got a constant stock of maybe s- stuff that's a bit rarer to find? Yeah, um, it's, you know, smaller smaller batch distilleries who maybe can't meet the demand of some of the supermarkets of what they're asking for. Um, you know, things that you don't get off the shelves. And that, that's across our range. We have we have a, a handful of products that you can get um, from supermarkets and things. But primarily, we focus on things that you can't get there. Um, mm-hmm. You either have to go to a special shop like ourselves or, or some of the specialist online shops. Um, and the, the local, you know, pushing the Aberdeen surgeons, I um, was just doing a questionnaire actually for a newspaper article coming out next week and listing all our Aberdeen share gins. And we've got about 15 Aberdeen share gins. I didn't realize this time we had. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's important that we, we keep that local link and push that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just try and get gins and whiskeys and, and rums that people can't pick off the shelf. Yeah. I think, um, about them. I, th- I think people are probably inclined to, you know, if it, once something does become a bit more widely available in supermarkets, I think, you know, the, the, the proper people, the people that are into like the proper crafts side of things will probably shy away from that and go on to try something else a lot of the time, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, they lose a little bit of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, not all the time. I mean, there are some, you, you look at Brewdog, for example, it's, you know, it, it's almost a mainstream craft beer. Um, we, we still have some of the products we go for, you know, but what we've done there is, uh, picked up kind of their overworks range things like that that you don't get in the supermarket special editions and things like that is what we focus rather than your punk ipa and and things like that we, we just try and adapt to things that people are looking for that they can't readily get their hands on yeah i suppose that someone like Brewdog obviously produced so many beers now that you say you've got they've got the core range that you can nip into tesco and get a, a four pack of or whatever um, but they've all, they're always yeah. going to have something that's a, a bit rare. You see, like the, the overworked sour stuff and that that wouldn't be available. So it's good for you. I yeah, imagine. and also you know having brew dogs just around the corner from us as well. There's it's created a, a big interest in the brand in in Inverurie. Um And yeah, people can get it from there. But you know, on drafts, I think all the products. I'm not sure about what they've got for for off sales. But you know there is an interest, and if somebody's in with us picking up a bottle of whiskey or gin, the see we've got a range the the pick up as well, and uh, rather than going round to the the brew dog and vice versa, um, sometimes they, they try a pint in the pub, uh, enjoy it, they maybe can't buy a bottle there, but when they're in with us, they say, oh, that's something I tried, let's grab a bottle. Mm-hmm. So aside from you, you touched on there, aside from the actual selling of the the, the crafts spirits and whiskies and that sort of thing you've got the um you sort of whiskey tours that you do can you tell me a bit more about that and how that works um so yeah the tours unfortunately we were we were gearing up for our busiest um tour season yet we launched them in 2017 um so what we try to do with the tours is give people kind of a unique journey through whiskey um meeting the the makers um and getting a, a real close-up view of the, the art and science of making whiskies. Primarily, we promote the Aberdeenshire, um, the, the secret malts of Aberdeenshire, we like to call them, uh, which are producing world-class uh, spirit. But maybe because they're not, say, Speyside or Isla, which is kind of the, the really 
famous regions. They they get overlooked by a lot of tourists uh, coming into Scotland. So we want to to highlight them first and foremost. But being maybe an hour's drive from Speyside, we can do that as well. Um, and because we're, we're quite a small uh, local company, we're we're very flexible. We're we're quite bespoke. Like every tour that we do is bespoke to what the customers want, uh, what they want to experience. Do they want to experience the cooperage? See the, the casks being made? Do they like heavily sherried whiskies? We'll, we'll cater for that. Yeah, so so we're we're really quite flexible. We've got a great uh, camaraderie with a lot of the, the visitor centres as well. So we can, you know, we have a really nice personal touch with them as well. So it, it gives the the customers, whether they're a visitor or whether they're local, um, a real nice, unique, um, memorable experience. Mm -hmm. Do you tend to find what what is the sort of split between uh, sort of tourists coming to Scotland looking for a tour and people that already live here sort of locally but want to do something like whiskey wise that they've not done before? Um, the visitor side of things is growing. Um, I'm not sure whether that's because we're getting more known or whether that's always been the case. Um, when we first started, it was a lot of locals, you know, maybe friends of mine or um, people who came into the shop to uh, support us and use us as for their tours. Um, we had birthday parties, we had family outings, uh, a couple of work night or day outs. Um, and then with uh, we grew our experience, kind of catering for them and really started push advertising of the, the tours. And we have a great relationship with, um, well, let's say at Wardhill Castle um, and Elizabeth up at Craigston Castle, uh, up in Turriff. So these guys hire out the castles for, for a couple of weeks or a long weekend. And uh, we managed to, to do not just tours, but full experience. We'll go in and do a tasting um, at the castle, either gin or whiskey, and then the next day we'll take them out on a tour. Uh, to, to various distilleries and create that and it helps us really focus on what they they are looking for and that's been a great help for us to expand our knowledge um, advertising or word of mouth doesn't isn't just local it, you know we've, we've had recommendations from you know a group from France recommended one of their whiskey group buddies um, in Norway so when they came over um, they made a point of looking us up to go out and do a tour with them. So that's, that's great when um, you can get that sort of recommendation, you know, yeah. word of mouth sort of thing overseas as well. It's pretty, pretty impressive. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's, we like to be personal with the, with the people as well and keeping our tours small. So the maximum we do is eight. Ah, but I say the maximum, we can do more, um, but we like to keep it at eight um, and just keep it really nice and, and personal. Yeah, I think that would... My idea would be that would that would make it a completely different experience from you say going like a, a group like a, a coach load of fifty odd people just being hired and drowned a distillery to see to see this, yeah. to see stuff. It's if you're small groups like that, you get a, I imagine you get a much better experience out of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in terms of um, the you mentioned the sort of the whiskey school as well with the sort of tastings and that sort of thing. Um, obviously. We're now sort of still in the middle of lock, lockdown, so to speak, and COVID nineteen. How I notice you've you've taken taken that online. I've seen a lot of a lot of people sort of tagging in that they're doing a inventory whiskey shop online whiskey tasting. So how's how's that worked for you? It's um 
if there can be a success story um, of the of our business during COVID, um, the taste and the virtual tastings would be it. Um, it actually, it almost started again by accident. We did a, there was a, a Glenallachy uh, distillery range came out just on on the week out that we locked down. Uh, we were lucky enough to get the, the delivery in before um, a lot of the distribution centres closed. So I um, had a a kind of Facebook live video where I tasted the whiskies and I spoke about them and told everyone what I thought of them. And the biggest feedback we got from that is that all I was doing was making people jealous that they couldn't try them. Um, mm -hmm. So we looked at it and thought, well, why can't we fill up, you know, fill five bowls, um, miniatures and send them out to people and do a Zoom. Uh, so, so that kind of started and we put out the first kind of two tastings and they sold out practically overnight. Um, it was about 48 hours, they, they both sold out. So we're now doing about three um, events a week, either gin or whiskey. Um, they've got a lot of requests for private tastings as well. And so so families um, are sending you know, packs down to Glasgow or, or Edinburgh. We had a, um, a whiskey club um, based in Huddersfield or kind of throughout Huddersfield. Uh, we did a, a tasting event for them. Uh, so, so yeah, it's really, really good arms and legs and I had no idea it was going to be as popular as it has been, but mm -hmm. every public tasting has sold out so far, uh, which is, is great. Yeah, it's great, great to hear that there is, is some, as you say, some success stories coming out of a, a very difficult time. And I guess, I assume, probably, it probably goes without saying that even after, you know, people are aren't locked down anymore and bars and restaurants are back open. I take it that would be something you would continue to do these online tastings if they're proven to be such a success. Yeah. Um, the great thing about the online tastings and, and our ability to post is we've had people from Spain, France, Switzerland, Norway. You know, we've got a lassie from Norway who joins in almost every tasting we do. Um, and it's it's been able to, to grow to a, a new audience and then they um, know about the shop, they know me, um, and they, they, they feel comfortable buying from the shop as well. Mm -hmm. I think um, it, it kind of breaks down that barrier, giving a personal touch overseas, especially. Uh, and yeah, definitely looking at expanding the virtual tastings, whether we can incorporate that into our face-to-face -face or, or kind of in-house tastings. You know, if we have a, a group of maybe 15, 16 in the shop, we can still project that uh, through Zoom so that we've got maybe people in all over the world potentially kind of joining in and uh, really opening up. So, so yeah, it's definitely something we want to continue. Yeah, because I guess with the, the in-person tastings, um, that's obviously limited to people who can actually live or are in the vicinity of the shop yeah. that can actually get there. So yeah. you say it could open up, it could be anywhere, as you say, anywhere in the world could be sitting doing the tasting along with you, yeah. which, is, which is great. And I get, you know, it's uh, not, not even, I suppose, across the world, it's people who maybe can't drive or don't have a way of getting home maybe live in the, the country, don't want to buy, spend money on a taxi, um, as, as simple as that. So how, how did you, how did you find the, the logistics of, of starting up the, the online stuff, getting everything sent out, was that kind of pretty easy from the word go or is it a bit of tedious um, to start with? I think the, the main problem we had was relying on the post service, being able to keep up. Um, we quickly found out um, not so much the first one. We were quite well prepared for the first one. I think the, the post office were 
quite well prepared for the first one. When we were sending further afield, you know, if they have to go through a Glasgow distribution centre or something that it's, it's got a, a huge volume of posts going through, uh, we quickly realised that we're going to have to be well prepared in advance for getting these sent out. It's not a next day delivery anymore. You know, you have to give kind of three, four days minimum. <laughs> Uh, so that was probably the biggest challenge we had. Um, and other things we learned as we went along, so things like muting, um, the, the the videos or the, or the mics of, of everyone while we're, we're talking. Um, because, you know, Zoom is very quick to pick up any noise in the background. So um, when I'm talking, you, you don't want the microphone to be jumping around. So I think highlighting that, and just explain it to people why um, so we don't come across as being rude um, and really just engaging with people, letting them know what we're doing. Uh, and these are things we kind of picked up. We, we couldn't have foreseen it, um, really. Uh, it's things that we, we kind of learned on the move. Um, the taste impacts, getting them you know, made up to a, a quality standard, which I think we've done. Um, they, they not only contain kind of quality spirit, um, but we, we've made them look really nice as well. And uh, I think that adds to the, the whole experience that we're trying to offer. Yeah, I think it's um, for stuff like that, if something comes nicely packaged and nicely presented, do you say that feels like it's like a, just a bit extra going above and beyond what, you know, instead of just getting something in a, in a you know, a cardboard box, just rolling, bottles yeah. rolling around, that sort of thing. I think it makes a, a huge <laughs> difference. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, at Touchwood, we've only had one uh, bottle leak um, in, in all the, the tastings we've done, so, so hopefully bad. that yeah. continues. Good stuff, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of the business overall then, um, during the, the COVID-19 stuff, uh, how how has, has that been in terms of overall business? Um, it's, it's probably difficult to, to say on a, you know, what would May and April have been without it. Um, I know we, our tastings have grown, you know, there's no way we were able to do um, three tastings a week um, without the virtual side of things. Uh, would we have sold three tastings a week? Probably not. Um, having people coming into the store, uh, into the shop. The, the tour side is obviously a big loss to us. Um, in terms of, of people coming to the shop uh, and overall turnover, we are up ever so slightly from April, May last year. And I really think a lot of this is down to this kind of a united community feel where people are shopping more local. They're, they're deliberately trying to avoid online and going out to like ourselves or the green grocer or, you know, the, the local ice cream shops, the strackens and things like that and making a, a conscious effort of shopping online, uh, shopping local and avoiding online. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if there's ever going to be a legacy out of this, I, I, that's what I hope it's going to be, is that people, you know, the fact that we're the ones um, going above and beyond to make sure people are getting served, um, doing late night deliveries and, and things like that, where, you know, you just don't get that personal service from, your, your online, your Amazons or your whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to think that that's a big reason for it. Um, we, we're <laughs> uh, probably very lucky in a way that 
the alcohol industry has seen a boom during um, this when people at home they're not driving so much they're they're at home more often and they're looking for things to do so they're they're wanting to try new new spirit um, I think that's played a, a big part in our our boom uh, as well and you know I perhaps we'll see a, a little dip when people do start returning to work and it's, there's not going to be the opportunity to maybe have a drama on a Wednesday night uh, because they're <laughs> driving the next day which we yeah. we, we fully um, back that you know with, with the responsible drinking we don't want to we don't want to turn the nation into um, a, a midweek uh, drinking nation uh, that's that's really not what we're about uh, drink smart drink better mm-hmm. um, but when people are at home, they're going to turn to maybe an odd tipple now and then through the week. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, and obviously, not only that, I mean, in general, with obviously all the pubs not being closed, people, if they want to have a have a whiskey or that, it has to be at home. So, you know, or a gin or whatever. whatever yeah, they, they... yeah. Uh, that's a, I mean, we, we still have the, uh, the Black Bull of the pub as well. So, that, that's been closed since um, the first weekend of the lockdown. So, so yeah, as as every pub has, um, can't wait to get them open. I think that's one thing that the virtual tastes do offer is some form of social interaction, uh, but but you don't get sitting at home yourself. Yeah, I think that's a difficult thing because in, until you know, if you're used to maybe going down to the pub a weekend for a beer, um, it's it's you maybe don't really think about it at the time, but it is that sort of social interaction with other people that you're not seeing all the time. And if and that completely stops, you know, it's, you know, it's so you're down to you and whoever lives with you in your house to yeah. make the conversation, which is obviously great. But then, <laughs> but then there comes a time where you, you just, it's just seeing a different face, I think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A lot of the time. I think, yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm being quite lucky in having the shop open to, a, to even a small degree. I do meet people face to face and and have got that but there's a lot of people who who haven't got had that luxury who we we can still reach out to albeit virtually yeah well uh, i think we've, we've covered most of the business side of things so I'll, I'll i'll turn the attention to well if you get a chance to get away from away from the shop and uh, away from the pub and what have you so what, what do you what do you do to try and in your time off to try and relax and get get away from the workspace um, we well we have three dogs so they take up a lot um of time and out walking and training and cleaning up after them uh so so that's a, a big part we actually one of our, our dogs just gave birth to puppies um about three weeks before the lockdown so that was a great distraction at the start of it being able to come home and and play with nine uh, balls of fire. Um, they're all away now uh, to their forever home. So, although the house seems a bit quiet, um, the my fiance Tony has got me doing a lot of things around the house, which I'm sure every boyfriend or partner has has been roped into <laughs> during the time. Um, but generally, um, finish work. You know, I, I've, got, I've got a decent you know social with the the pub. Uh, going out playing darts and playing pool. Um, love going and watch live music. And when I'm at home, probably doing a bit of uh, research into new products or distilleries or, or just reading books um, on whiskey or gin. 
suppose, yeah, I suppose I suppose that's maybe one of the one of the curses of uh, having a business that also relates to a hobby is that you kind of the difficulty yeah. if you're sitting down ha- having a whiskey or you say reading about whiskey, you're like, well, have, have I got my work hat on or have I got my my relaxing? Yeah, um, that that's a fellow Tony's always getting on to me. She keeps you know you're not working, is it? Yeah, but I actually enjoy doing this as well. It's it's finding that balance of yeah, this is not work. I'm actually reading this because I'm really wanting to learn about it. I really enjoy learning. I suppose it would be like, um, I don't know, being part of the mountain rescue and then going for a hill walk on your, your weekend mm-hmm. off or something like that. You, you just do it because you love it. Yeah. So, but does it take any of the, any of the enjoyment factor away from it? If it's something you're surrounded by it all the time? Um, absolutely not. I think if you, if you're into whiskey uh, or yeah, to, to a certain degree as well, gin, there's so much out there to learn. Um, you're you're always learning, and I would say you're know, sitting and reading a book, is a or sitting at your at home having a, a dram is a completely different experience to visiting a distillery or having a tasting with a group of people. You get so many opinions and conversations, and and uh, it's it's one of these that you you can really enjoy on your own, um, but you can really enjoy it with a group of people as well um it, it's so so many layers to it um and that, that's why you you get people who love it who really really love it and, and it's all they do is talk about or write about or um taste whiskey um to a far greater degree than than i do you know I, i'm quite i see myself as quite reserved um in that whether that's forced upon by the other half or not i'm not sure but um but yeah, it's something, you know, so many different, and it feels like you're taking a break from work. If I'm selling a bottle of whiskey, it's not because I want to make money. It's because I want that person to experience this really great whiskey that I like. Uh, I want to share it. Um, the fact that I'm getting paid to do that is a bonus. Yeah. I'd be, as you said earlier, it's not, not a lot of, uh, lucky that you're able to do something for work that you actually enjoy. Um, I'm sure you don't take that for granted at all. You know what I mean? Not um, at all, no. Um, so, okay, so what is, um, in terms of your personal whiskey taste, then, what is, what is the sort of things that you like to drink? Um, I'm a big sherry cask fan. Um, so things like the Glendronach, Glenfarclas. Um, Glenallachie is one that's fast becoming um, one of my favourite distilleries. It's uh, fairly new. Um, it's been on... It's been around since the 60s, but um, as a single malt, um, it's fairly new. Only since 2017, it's been actively promoted itself as a single malt, and they've got a fantastic range. Um, I'm quite lucky to live in a world where we're, we're getting to experience all these new drams coming out. Um, so, yeah, big big sherry finishes uh, or maturations are, are mine. So that's kind of your, your whiskies that give you lots of chocolate notes, kind of Christmas cake, fruit cake um all these kind of flavors uh it's probably my go-to um my again my favorite dram would probably be the glendronach 18 year old is a, a wonderful whiskey uh so that that's what i look for in a, in a good whiskey yeah i've got a bit of a confession i'm not actually a whiskey drinker myself um i've <laughs> I've, I've, I've often thought about trying to get into it but i just haven't I just haven't been able to to do it. So what for some for a, a novice a novice like me that would like to get into sort of whiskey tasting and 
you know, knowing a bit more about it, educating themselves, what would be the best way to do that, do you reckon? Um, probably uh, during normal times, come into the shop and uh, we can offer you, we, we offer the uh, samples to try and um, you know, depending on what else you drink, if you like a rum or gin or, or if you're a beer fan, we've got some whiskies to suit. Um, but we do, you know, try before you buy is probably the best way. We can offer you a couple of samples and guide you off, off the back of what you thought of them. Um, we normally introduce people to whiskey through some lighter, um, what we call non-offensive whiskies. So not too heavily flavored in any way. So something maybe like a, a Glenfiddich or um, a Tom and Towel or something like that. These nice gentle drums that get, get you into it. But yeah, everyone's doing it. Last night we had a, a peated whiskey tasting. Um, so these are your really strong, kind of almost medicinal, smoky flavors. And we had somebody come along for the first time in a whiskey tasting. Um, and I was thinking, oh my God, how are we going to sell this to him? Because these are very quite niche whiskies <laughs> with a acquired taste. But he loved, he loved them all apart from one. So, yeah, we've maybe just lucked out that he's um, he's picked this kind of style to go for and that suits his palate. Uh, so everyone is different. But but I would recommend going in for a, a lighter, um, sweeter, smoother, um, low alcohol style whiskey to, to start with. In your tastings, do you do such a thing as a, you know, like a, Beginner's whiskey tasting, if there is such a thing. We have done, yeah. We've done a couple of introduction to whiskies. Um, and the, to be honest, they haven't proved as popular as as I would have hoped. Um, but whether that's the way we're marketing or the customer base that we have, um, either are whiskey drinkers or are not whiskey drinkers, there's nobody really there looking to. So it's something we maybe have to market better and try and push out a little bit more. But it's yeah, there's certainly ways that we can develop people into drinking into whiskey drinkers. Um, I'll say uh, it's not that you don't like whiskey; you just haven't found one that you do like yet. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, I'm I'm more of, a, more of a beer drinker, and it's a little bit the same. You know, sometimes you encounter people that say, "Oh, I don't like beer," but that's that's like saying like I don't like food. You know, there's there's yeah. so many different <laughs> types out there. You know what I mean? It's um, I, I always think there's something for somebody out there. Absolutely, yeah, completely agree. So, uh, changing changing tact a little bit, back back to the dogs. Um, you said you had nine puppies on the go. Are you do you guys do you guys breed your dogs, or was that just like a one off sort of thing? Um, it's no, we're we're we wouldn't class ourselves as breeders. We have one dog who, um, is very fertile. Um, we we had a litter with her, uh. 18 months ago now just coming up for two years maybe and um, she was such a good mom that we thought you know let's so we gave her a a season um, to recover and kind of get her body back working again and we thought her next season we'll we'll look at it and we'll see how she behaves Um, so her older brother not through any kind of genealogy just her, her older dog brother um, has been he was given the snippet as a young age, so he's got no um, abilities um, in that sense of the word. <laughs> but she was she was so flirty with him. Um, she was trying to get him interested, and it was like right. So she, she really wants to do do this again. She wants to mm-hmm. be a mom again. She just oozed 
uh, maternal instincts. So, so we gave her another litter. Um, we think, you know, she's she's four years old now, so we think maybe, you know, by the time we give her a, a season off and maybe back in, she'll be kind of pushing six. It d- it depends on how how she feels, what kind of sign she's given again. But we kept one of her pups, um, who, if she shows the same signs, will be quite happy to to breed again with her. Mm-hmm. What uh, what what type of dogs is it you've got? Yeah, they're all cocker spaniels. Mm-hmm. So lots of lots of energy kicking about in them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how how do you during the whole lockdown thing? In terms of like you know, have you had to change like where you go in terms of like exercising the dogs? You don't know, normally take them up Benny Hee, and obviously probably not been able to do that. It's, has that been a big bit of a change for you? Yeah, um, that's probably the hardest um, part. It, the um, obviously we had the puppies um, at the start, so so Ria and um, the mum wasn't getting out so much. She had to be at home to look after them, so that eased things a little bit. So just having the two dogs uh, to walk, and then coincidentally, once all the pups had gone, her, her daughter Lilo had just came into season. So we had to keep her at home. So, you know, we kind of landed on our feet with that one. And, mm-hmm. um, but now, you know, we, we live just outside the, well, just outside of Ruri and then Osprey. So we've got the Uri side park, which is a great walk. Um, you, you know, and it's, it's spread out enough that everyone can kind of walk around quite happily. Um, the only downside, we can't let, really let them off the lead unless we're very careful about where they're, where we are and where other people are mm-hmm. to give them a, a good spaniel style run around um it's it's quite difficult to do that uh, so so we are looking forward to getting them out on like a benahi or up to a quirthy which is a couple of our favorite haunts yeah i think that i mean i don't have a dog myself um but i think one thing about living in the northeast is under normal circumstances there's so many places you could go and be great for dogs and you'll see loads of people yeah. out with them yeah, sort of. especially weather like this it'd be great to go up to Balmedy or something like that yeah oh well we can we can only hope for that sort of that sort of thing <laughs> have happen soon um but thanks yeah, very exactly. much thanks very much mike for your time i've not really got anything else uh that i was hoping to cover so um i'll maybe just let you back to your cocktail on your sunny sunday afternoon no problem david thanks very yeah. much for asking me along it's been a Pleasure to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, uh, please tell a friend about us. Try and get them to subscribe and listen. If you didn't enjoy it, uh, just pretend it never happened. Please subscribe to our feeds in your Apple or Google podcast app or follow us on Spotify. We'd also appreciate it if you would like and share our Facebook page. Uh, Just open up Facebook and search for Business and Chill Podcast to find us. So until next time, let's get back to business but don't forget to take some time to chill.